Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting inside the fish tank is Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? Matt, this week on Cinema Jaw, I ask if you can keep a secret. Uh, no, I can't. I'm, I know ter- you can't. I'm terrible at that. I should really go to Phil with this one. I get Phil, so stressed out. Phil, can you keep a secret? No. Oh, <laughs> I got nobody to tell. We, our futures in the CIA are very limited. Nobody that I can tell my top five movies. I should say my top five characters who have secrets in movies. Well, we might as well just tell everyone then, Ryan. That's our topic this week, Matt. I like it. It's top a fun five, one. Top five character secrets in movies. Good. Good one. Ties into a review that we will be having later on in the show. Indeed it does. And that will be a secret until we tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. A lot of secrets on this show. But one secret that is no secret no more, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great segue. Is our guest who is going to be joining us very shortly in honor of the Music Box's 90th anniversary. Wow. 9-0. Ryan Ostrike is back. I believe this is his third appearance on Cinema Jaw. Uh, Lots going on in his world, including, of course, the 90th anniversary of the famous music box theater here in chicago yeah a lot of pressure when you're when you're the gm of the music box and it turns 90 you really got to give it a good celebration well it's it could not be in better hands than rhino yes we will inform the jawheads of what is going to be taking place for a week-long celebration over at the music box and it's a doozy it is besides that we have more going on don't we phil we absolutely do ryan we are also going eye for an eye on ready or not tonight and we have a review of after the wedding Nice. Mm. Uh, In honor of the music box, the jewel of a theater that we have here in Chicago, I thought this would be a good time for you, Matt, to take Ryan on in music box movie trivia. Keywords here, music and box. Okay. Uh, You've done it again, Alex Trebek. You know? Yeah. Before we bring Ryan on, just a taste, get the the jawheads a little, their taste buds watered here. Mm -hmm. Some of the highlights that are going to be going on at the music box Starting August 22nd, that is the day that the music box opened up some 90 years ago. 1929. Unbelievable. So starting on the 22nd, they are showing uh, Innocence of Paris, which is a film from 1929, and we'll talk to Ryan about that. Um, They got some silent cinema that's going to be playing. They have a 9 to 5 movie marathon, which is... Dolly Parton movie marathon. Uh, Why wouldn't it place, be? Yep. Right? Yep. They have a Mary Poppins sing along taking place. They have a music box of horrors, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, then, by the way, featuring Society, which is a movie I keep telling you you need to see, and now this proves it. I can't wait. Validated. And, and then they have this wonderful night, what, what they are dubbing Audience Choice Double Feature, mm. in which they're playing The Terminator right. and Robocop. Great. Yeah. I mean, you got one masterpiece there and and one, you know, pretty damn good film as well. I agree. Well, which one's which? What are you saying here? You know, one's 
a masterpiece. It's definitely, I would say, the it's Terminator. It's RoboCop. No, I it's would actually. It's RoboCop. No, come on. It's RoboCop. It's definitely the Terminator. RoboCop I like as well, but the Terminator's a masterpiece. If RoboCop is a masterpiece. Oh, my God. Cinema, Cinema War. War. Oof. Ryan's going to have his hands full with that one. I mean, it's he a probably, tough one. He probably picked these two to show on audiences. Sophie's Choice, choice once again. And then the event ends with uh, just a spectacular. I, I'm going to be there in-house for this. Back to the Future 2 screened in beautiful 70 millimeter at the music box. And this is one of the few screens in the world where you can see it in such a format. It's going to be awesome. That is uh, taking place on Thursday, August 29th. So as we say here, Matt, it, it is quite the celebration that I know. the music box is going to be having. I can't wait. Looks awesome. It does. Um, before we bring Ryan in, we are celebrating Morgan Freeman all month long. So Phil, do you got a fact for Morgan Freeman? And does it tie into the music box in any way? Uh, I do have a fact. <laughs> it does not tie into the music box, however. Uh, this week's Cinema Jaw Morgan Freeman movie fact. Freeman's first acting role was a form of punishment. While in junior high, he pulled a chair out from underneath a female classmate in an ill-advised attempt to flirt with her. Uh, the school ordered him to participate in the drama department as a penalty, and uh, of course, he ended up uh, falling for the art form and becoming the Morgan Freeman we know today. How about that as wow. a punishment? Go, go, and you're going to have to go in the school play. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you got uh, Lean on Me. Right? Interesting. <laughs> He took that punishment all the way to the bank. <laughs> Good stuff. I love learning about Morgan Freeman. I do, too. This has been great. All right, Matt, with, without further ado, let's bring in our guest. He is the general manager of the Music Box Theater. He's been running movie theaters, I think, for something like 20 years. So he's quite an expert when it comes to it. They run film festivals out of the Music Box, such as Sin Sinpocalypse and so many more, the 70 Millimeter Film Festival. His third time on Cinema Jaw, Ryan Ostrike, welcome back. Thank you very much. I am happy to be back on. Hello, listeners. Hello, my beautiful podcasters. You know what? This is a good place to be right now. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, man. And hey, first of all, congratulations on the new kid. Thank you. Yeah. Four, uh, four weeks, right? Yeah, little so, Oscar. He's uh, he's four. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like... Yeah, yeah lack of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. there, pal. Yeah. A four-week-old and a two-year-old is... Uh, it's full plate. Not it's, to mention the 90th anniversary of uh, the music box. And all the other work that we do, right? I mean, it's uh, it's it's consuming, but I don't know. It, it's still enriching. You know, and it's Of like, course. It's, and it's good stuff. And I think doing something like, say, like Cinema Jaw, where it's a, it's a weekly project, we're always trying to, you know put social media out there we're coming up with topics so we get an idea of that that constant of always trying to and when i look at something like the music box you guys come off so professional in the sense that they're you guys have it well oiled where you guys got things going months in advance you can go to musicboxtheater.com and see the schedule and you can look ahead at what fests are coming so are you guys constantly doing meetings there and figuring out uh fun new events to come up with like brainstorming you mean like Dolly Parton 9 to 5? Yes, like something <laughs> like that. Who yeah. comes up with that? Uh, yeah, we have weekly programming meetings. But outside of the weekly programming meetings, I mean, we're always emailing with each other and, you know, or like, you know, just like texting or, you know, just, just talking to one another. And because you Slack, you should stuff. use Slack. We are using Slack now. Good, it good. It is new. It's, it's full of gifts and stupid ways to waste your time. 
Indeed. <laughs> but you can communicate with each other. But yeah, we do have a lot of fun with programming and weekly meetings, always weekly meetings. And then what we try to do is whenever we think of an idea, we try to add it to uh, a Google Doc that uh, that's like our programming document and that we share that with each other and then we discuss it at our weekly programming meetings. And, uh, and that's how stupid ideas like Dolly Parton 9 to 5 come together or, you know, like 15 years ago, the 24-hour uh, horror movie marathon, you know, it's just like, these things come together when people come together and they're like, what do you think about this? And then somebody else <laughs> is like... But then it runs for 20 years. Somebody else is like, it's a good idea. You should do it. Or they say, I don't know, but do it once. And if the audience is there, keep doing it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like our Christmas double feature, Sing Along Sound of Music, 70 Millimeter Festival. I mean, all of these things was somebody... It's not one person. That's what's great about the music box. It was somebody at some point who worked for the music box and cared about it. it was like, I have this idea, and then somebody else encouraged them to do it, and then we put it out to there to our audience because our audience is amazing, uh, and then they tell us, that's a good idea. Keep doing or, that. Keep doing it, or I'm going to come back. Uh, and and we listen. We absolutely do. Like, uh, I I I I literally do respond to almost every email that I get, whether it's. You know, somebody saying, why the hell did you do this? Or we love we love what you're doing. You know? R- really quickly, one of the favorite, my favorite uh, events at the Music Box over the past uh, year was the Cat Video Film Festival. It was fantastic. I brought my entire family. Thank you for putting that on. Oh, we love doing that one. Uh, that one is... <laughs> Just one guy who lives in Minnesota and puts it together and curates it. And he's like, I love coming to Chicago. One, it's close. And two, great audiences. So, yeah, it was we welcome him back every year. Packed house, 700 seats, right? Yep, we sold it out. It's awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. So a celebration. cat lovers beware, though, by the way. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's nothing to beware of. A celebration. I just, I just feel like they could create a mob if, if you ever asked them to come together oh, for yeah. something. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, a celebration for 90 years of the music box. When did you guys decide, hey, we got to do something special for, for number 90? I think uh, around the uh, January of 2018, because uh, I'm always thinking ahead. I don't know why. Probably because I have to run the place. Because um, you're a good manager. You're good at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I said to myself, uh, and this was like me talking to myself and not bringing it up to the whole crew, but I said, I don't know what it's going to be, but when we turn 90, we're going to celebrate ourselves because, you know, we're not going to celebrate us individual staff members. We're going to celebrate this place, this entity, this landmark, this brand. Uh, and we're going to figure it out. I don't know what it is, but we're going to do it. So I started kind of talking about it to the staff, like, hey, you know, next year's our 90th. We're going to do something. And I just kept talking about it and talking about it. I didn't know what it was going to be in January of 2018. I sure. just knew we're going to do something. Like, you know, the first stupid thing that comes to my brain was, um, Dolly Parton. Uh, <laughs> Let's show uh, Citizen Kane and have a giant birthday cake, right? Oh, that was nice. like the first idea that came to my brain. I was like, no, we're not going to show Citizen Kane. We have shown Citizen Kane so many damn times. That's, it is a bit of a cliche. And, and then the idea like, oh, I'm going to get a giant birthday cake. Well, how big is a giant birthday cake? And who's going to make a giant birthday cake? And how many candles do I got to put on that? <laughs> and is that a fire code? Do I have to worry about insurance? I don't want to do that. Um, though it does sound kind of silly and fun. Uh, but, you know. And then, you know, sort of evolves over time. Yeah. And then it sort of actually compounds itself. And then it gets so big that you have to kind of chisel it back. You have to, like, kind of be like, oh, no, now you're thinking you're, sh- you're doing way too much here. Um, and so I think we did a good job sort of narrowing down not only the programming, um, but all of the sort of archiving and historical finding that we did for, for the theater. 
Nice. Let's talk about some of that, the, the archival and, and historical findings. Like, what what are you putting out there to the, to the history of the place? So uh, we created a. So if you go to themusicboxstudio.com, there's like a, a big red box. This is 90th anniversary. Click on click on that. So what we did was we had sort of a local film scholar, uh, Bill Stamets, write like a history. So he like went in and he studied the music box and like unearthed facts and things like that. And then he wrote kind of a long history of like who we are and who we have been over 90 years. And then he wrote some sort of tidbit histories that will come back into play with our programming. So when we get to the individual programs, you go onto those pages and he wrote little histories of why we do midnight movies and things like that. Uh, and then in 1983, when we were sort of reborn or we are the music box that we are today in this sort of style of programming. Uh, we started doing printed calendars. Yeah, um, I saw this on the website. And so we created the digital archive. So I actually had one of my staff members go in and digitize 35 years of calendars. So you can literally go through wow. and see every movie we've ever played in the month and day that we played it, along with really terrible advertisements and like other th like right, factoids like, like and x-ray specs <laughs> that kind of thing yeah uh or like the sh the bar that was down the street that had happy hour or something like that yeah um and then we did tribute videos we have had so many people come through our doors in 90 years why don't we ask them if they will go on camera including some of our own staff members who worked there a long time and tell our story and then maybe we can cut it together into like a tribute video but what we also found was we got like 30 people to talk about, like us, like everybody from like Michael Shannon to like, you know, the programming director uh, of the music box, right? Like all these people, Chicagoans outside of Chicago, and they all came together and they talked about us. And then we, 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 we created this 12 minute long tribute video that kind of tells our story. It's very nicely done. Um, but we had so much footage that we created these offshoots. So sure. these other little stories of like why we show celluloid and or f why we show films on cellulite. I don't need to say that to you, you cinema audience. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, you know, why we survive the years, why we have the organ, why do we why do we care about the organ? You know, all of these sort of things. So, like, you go on there and you get all these videos. Um, so we did all of that. And then what I wanted to do was I wanted to do a limited edition pin, you know, because people like to buy something. I, I like the pin. There's two yeah. of them. Yeah. So the well, <laughs> I'm so, serious. So, wow, mess all over this. Yes, so yes. The good thing about that I'm was getting a pin. I it was my idea to do a pin, and then my membership manager Claire, she was just like, "Hey, people like pins, so maybe do a limited edition pin, but also create another pin that maybe you could have year round." So, um, so we have the 90th pin that will only be selling while we're 90, uh, and then we created the the blade sign so that that marks key. Right, yeah, sort sign. of an upside-down T, for those yep. of you who don't know. Uh, well, basically, for, for everybody who knows, uh, a canopy, a marquee is actually the canopy, the thing that hangs out horizontally over the street or the sidewalk. And then the thing that goes upright is called a blade sign. So the thing that holds the neon letters, that's a blade sign, technical term here. And then the marquee is actually like the canopy that pops out. Right. And if you want to get into real architectural terms, oh, you say canopy marquee. Right, you put the canopy into it because then you can... You know, kind of comes out. Sure. So we have these two bar, two these two pins. Um, and if you're thinking about becoming a member of the Music Box, you get the 90th anniversary pin with your membership in the month of August to help celebrate our birthday. Sorry, gotta plug it. Yeah, you gotta plug um, it. Absolutely. Uh, so we have those pins. So yeah, on this website, we on this page of this website, we have all of these things. Uh, oh, uh, and then, um, <laughs> God, I feel sorry about my staff. Uh, we went back and wrote out 
every single double feature we did from 1983 to 1987. We didn't put that on the website. That's in a Google document. But the reason we did it was for the audience double feature. And so one of my staff members went through 40, 50 calendars and literally typed out every single double feature we ever did from that 83 to 87. So it was very long. And then we used it to go into the double feature, which I don't know if that's a good segue to talk about programming. Wow. But but um, the double feature kind of went away as a thing, and you guys are, are, at least in part, responsible for reviving it in the 80s. Absolutely. So yeah, when we when we were open, we were only a double bill house, so just double features every night of the week. That's all we did, so just classic movies that we paired in whatever way we wanted. Silly, interesting, off-the-wall, thematic, uh, same actor, same director, whatever. Um, and we did that only. We were only a double feature house for four years. And then we slowly started to build in, you know, like independent movies, you know, like uh, independent, like theatrical runs of like, you know, Sex, Lies and Videotape. And, you know, like, uh, you, know, mo- you know, movies coming out of the Sundance Film Festival and like foreign language movies. And which which was tough in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but actually, as we went from double bills to that, we actually found out that we were more successful with those first run movies. Um, so we kept doing first runs and then we, we really honed in on always having midnights and matinee features, right? And then also doing like retrospectives and the kind of things that you know us for now. So that we sort of evolved even in our current who we are as the music box. It's ever evolving. Ever evolving. It is. You're absolutely right, because our audience is also ever evolving. True. And so, you know, our audience sort of kind of tells us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, or like kind of the movies that they want to see. So we're always going to try to keep to our roots and show things that may seem out of date or why you do that, but it's tradition, then, you know, the audience is going to keep pushing us. I mean, I don't think we've always played anime. I, I would look back through the archives, and I think the only real anime we ever played through the years was Akira. But in the last, like, six, seven years, we really put, pushed through a lot of anime because there's an audience for it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they cross over, and sometimes they just come for the monthly screening of an anime movie. And you know what? That's totally fine. That's just a part of our big... Uh, wide diverse group of of, of audience and, and films that we play. You guys are nailing it. Absolutely. How often when you're out there do you see people taking picture of, of the famous marquee? So often. Blade sign, Ryan. Yeah, blade well, sign. No, no, marquee and blade sign. Yeah. I mean, they, they're probably taking a shot of both. You know? But I, I was walking Especially there. Especially if they I just, just like saw. correcting him. That's I, I was walking there just recently, and we'll get to this story. Oh, my God, and yes. I was, I was passing a couple, and the, and the guy was like, hold on, let me get a picture of this as I passed them. And I thought, I know I've taken numerous pictures, and I thought, somebody who works there, you probably see that all the time where people go out there and take a picture of the, the famous music box sign. Um, it's, becomes, it's almost become a problem because, like, you'll have um, – like professional photographers who are like with models or like there's like clothing or something random and they're like looking for like interesting spots in Chicago and so out of nowhere they're just like bombarding like your front with like these like model shoots and it's just like what are you doing you didn't even ask my permission for this like yeah get out of here (laughs) we're trying to run a business here um, so yes, we get a lot of photos and, uh, it's, well, actually it's one of the things I actually like to do with, uh, social media is find all the people that like tag us because a lot of them actually take really great shots. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite shots of the music box, I, I don't know the person who did it cause I don't know their, them as a per human. <laughs> I only know them as like a, a handle right on one of the socials, but they took this beautiful shot of the marquee as a reflection in a puddle in the sidewalk. Wow. Um, nice. And the puddle was big enough. And the lighting was just perfect. 
that it was just it was crystal clear. Color or black and white? Uh, color. Nice. Yeah, because it was like at night. That's gorgeous. Um, I got to see this one. It is. Uh, for the full list of films celebrating the Music Box 90th anniversary, you can go to the musicboxtheater.com. Like Ryan said, there's a box there that says 90th anniversary. You click on it. It's got all kinds of uh, the events page and everything that Ryan just spoke about. One other mention that I, we had to talk about was the fact that you guys are playing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 70 millimeter. And we, we announced it on the show when Matt did his review. It's pretty impressive to say one of five screens in the world to present it in 70 millimeter. How did that come about? Was there a struggle getting that? Oh. Can you tell us a little, little backstory on, on getting such a big film in 70 millimeter? Uh, I worked for six months to get that film. Six really? months of just begging and bombarding Sony and like... I had to have friends who are inside of the company of Sony. Like, I would have thought Tarantino would have had a hand in that. Like, personally, almost. No. Really? No. Tarantino has some of the theaters that he loves and he takes care of. But he has still never been to the music box. So I'm going to keep inviting him. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to keep just being like, hey, man, you're going to love this theater. You just got to come out, come out, come on. Um, But no, it had nothing to do with Tarantino. Just um, sheer will of us just... Like, I mean, we were like, hey, we played Hateful Eight. We did really well with it. We made money. Um, look at the way the crowd reacted. They said we did a great job. When we returned to the print, they said it was in pristine condition. They had, you know, prints being returned to them that were, like, like ripped up and torn apart and, you know, irreparable. Um, and so we, we just kept bug. I mean, this woman probably hated me. <laughs> you were just hammering uh, that, those emails out. I wouldn't stop. I Good for you, man. Not stop. Get we, us the 70. And then finally, what was it? Like 10, it was two weeks before, she was like, okay, you're one of five. Wow. wow. One of five. That's, That's pretty insane. awesome. That's yeah. insane. Very impressive. Really quick. Thank you for your hard work on it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Why is it so special? Because this is something somebody asked me and I couldn't I couldn't give a good answer to. Why is it so special to see obviously one in five screens in the world showing it's cool, but what about seventy millimeter is cool? Well, one of the videos that you can go on to the ninetieth website is seventy millimeter and it explains in good detail why seventy is what it is. But here is my layman's term. We'll link it. We'll we'll throw it in the show yeah, notes no, too. But but but, but um, basically the gate and the size of the image that is com- that uh, that we're projecting is twice the size of thirty five millimeter, right? So what that means is that there is X amount of more light that is coming through. So if you think about how movies are, they are all a play of light. Right. Um, And so when you have that much more light that can come through, I mean, these bulbs are projection bulbs are very bright. What you're getting is a crystal clear image, like beyond what you can get in digital. Right. Your Blu-ray cannot get this crystal clear. It just it cannot. Your uh, DCP projection uh, at your AMC reel cannot. Your 35 millimeter, it cannot. At 70, the image that you are getting is just gorgeous. It is the best projection of an image you can get at the time, right? I mean, at some point, digital is going to catch up. I just know it. But right now, that is the best way it's going to come through. So you have digital beat. Uh, Yes. Uh, And then also, because it's 70, because it's wider, the soundtrack on the side is wider, right? So basically, it can add in a better soundtrack that the, the projector can read, and so it really pushes through the audio system 
beautifully, right? For perfect surround. Um, I'm not saying we're beating a digital soundtrack of a DCP with like Dolby Atmos, but it is a damn great way to listen to it. Um, so you'll see this in the video, but Paul Thomas Anderson explained uh, the, the, the difference between, you know, seeing a DCP and a 70 millimeter as, um, you know, you, you see Joaquin Phoenix in the master and he's walking across the scene and he looks like he's wearing a blue jacket with blue pants. Well, when you see it in 70, you can actually tell that he's really dressed in a denim jacket with corduroy pants. Wow. So the definition is just there. Wow. Um, you could see the corduroys, the cords in the... <laughs> wow. Exactly. And that's, that's... That's special. I mean, if... Let's think about it this way, guys, movie lovers out there. If the filmmaker did something in a way that it, they want you to see the detail and they want you to take in the image in it, its entire scope, in its entire frame, then you should do yourself a service if you really respect the filmmaker and if you, if you think that this film is important to see it in the best way possible. And so when you get the chance to see something in 70, you're probably seeing it in the best possible presentation. Well said. Yeah, very yeah. well said. I wouldn't even make a joke about watching movies on my phone. Ah. So. Well, there really aren't any other theaters in Chicago, and very few in the world left uh, like the Music Box. I agree. Uh, it's such a great place. We might as well tell this story now. Yeah, this is a good we, segue. Uh, as it ties into the Music Box Theater, we had a Jawhead. We had a Cinema Jaw meetup with uh, a Jawhead. He had reached out to us months earlier that he was coming into town on holiday, and he was stopping in the United States, traveling around. His first stop was going to be in Chicago. This would be his first time ever in Chicago, and he's been listening to Cinema Jaw for a few years, and he's coming all the way from New Zealand. Yes, record holder for yes, the farthest. for the farthest that have traveled uh, to, to say hi to us, for sure. Uh, Darren Mordecai was the Jawhead's name. He came with his wife, and he had said, hey, let's meet for a drink, want to talk some movies with you guys, and we suggested the famed Music Box Theater, which has a lounge there, and we said, why don't we meet there? And we went out and we met Darren and his wife. Couldn't be... Mandy, we should mention her name. Yes, Mandy. Couldn't be nicer people, right? Charming. I mean, literally the nicest people. I, I hope all jawheads are this. He really set the, the bar high. Yeah, he did. But to be honest, all the jawheads that we've met through the years, great. So I'm not putting anybody down. But he comes we, we bearing... We attract the intelligentsia here, Ryan. He comes bearing gifts, which blew us away. So we opened up these gifts... We took turns unwrapping the gift. Yeah. And before us, inside the studio, we have about, what would you say, eight bars total? Yeah, definitely. Phil's given me a seven. Seven humongous bars of New Zealand chocolate. Only available in New Zealand. Only available in New Zealand. Or very difficult to get elsewhere, at least. Various flavors. Uh, so Matt picked one out here. Yes. What do we got here? This is Whitaker's, which is a, an, a brand from New Zealand. Uh, this is from their artisan collection. It is the Wellington Roasted Supreme Coffee Dark Chocolate. Phil, you you're inside ready? the fish tank. What do you have? So I have, uh, fun fact, some of these are vegan, which means they're Phil-friendly. And I have one of those. I have the Fijian Ginger and Kerry Kerry Mandarin Dark Chocolate Nice. Bar. Guys, I feel like I'm unwrapping I like a name. Wonka bar. I like the name of yours. Fijian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was hard to read, I and I hope say, I did it right. I just do that <laughs> Wait a second, guys. If there's a golden ticket in here... <laughs> I'm not sharing it, okay? I'm going to the factory. And Matt is opening the chocolate bar. Phil in the fish tank opening the chocolate bar. We're going to try some of this New Zealand chocolate. Um, Just saying, jaw. meeting Gene Wilder has been a childhood dream of mine. And you guys aren't encroaching. All right. It smells really good. 
Oh my god, this smells May amazing. I have a square, Matt? Yes, yes. Pass Ryan a square. Gents. Uh, this, uh, oh, let's, wow. I don't know if it's, you, uh, uh it's well crafted. You don't cheers for coffee, but, or uh, for chocolate, but cheers, gents. Yes, and, and cheers, Darren. To, to Darren. And, and thank you, Darren. Thank you, yeah. Thanks thank to you all the chocolates. Oh my god. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty special. We're going to have to edit delicious. this out. Yeah, it's just a bunch <laughs> of, uh, chewing sounds here, but this is really good, Darren. Because you know what's going to happen is now we got to finish the entire bar. There's no way I can just have one piece. You really taste the coffee in this. Awesome. Oh, my God. This is a problem about me having one in here is that I'm going I'm to eat the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Self-control? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, seriously, thanks to all the jawheads. Thanks to Darren. That, this has been a blast. Love the chocolates. Yes. Me too. And, uh, and New Zealand, let's, 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 let's be honest, your greatest export is Peter Jackson. Now, uh, Ryan, we like to end all of our guest interviews with a silly cinema cue. Sometimes has to do with the theme of the month, Morgan Freeman. Phil, you got a mouthful of chocolate, but do you got a question for Ryan? I do, and it does have to do with Morgan Freeman. Uh, so Morgan has been nominated for five different Academy Awards, although he's only won once for Million Dollar Baby. The other four nominations are for Invictus, Shawshank Redemption, Driving Miss Daisy, and Street Smart, uh, which got me thinking, of those four films, which one do you think was his biggest Oscar snub or, or his best performance? I'm going to go Shawshank. Mm. I, I think, think that's you gotta, how you go. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, the, the movie might have also helped, helped that decision because it's such a good film, um, but it's only made better by him. So, I, I, I mean, I love that movie, so... And he I. may just be the, the, the best part of that movie. He may just be. Yeah. And the story it's tough to say. Yeah. Mm. So many good things. So many good elements. Agreed. So Ryan is sitting in on this entire job. He has his top five characters with secrets. Let's get the show rolling. Eye for an eye. Yes. Eye for an eye this week. Ready or not. A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. The film stars Sam Reweaving, Adam Brody, and Andy McDowell, and is directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, the duo who also directed Devil's Due and segments of the film VHS and Southbound. But let's start it off by going over to Ryan. Wow. I First off, I'm so glad to hear that Andy McDowell is still with us. I it's hadn't been, heard it's, her. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, I hadn't heard her name pop up in a long time. You so mean I'm, multiplicity? I was Andy about McDowell. to, yeah, <laughs> multiplicity. Throw, when was that? Throw it in the fish tank. When did multiplicity come out? It seems like it's been forever since we heard from Andy McDowell. So 91, that's my guess. I, I have to plead uh, ignore on this one. I hope it's funner than I'm expecting, but right now I'm, I'm very worried. Wow. Uh, Matt? Dude. Bust out the party hat. This movie looks like a ton of fun. It's got a clue vibe, a bit of a get out sort of new horror vibe. I am all for this. Uh, big time interested. Ryan, how do you feel? I'm going to abstain. You can't abstain. Oh, you didn't tell me those rules. <laughs> Let me see here. Would I spend my time watching this? I'd watch any movie. Um, but right now, since I have such very limited time, I'm going to pass on it. Sorry. Oof. I'm alone on this one. Sir, uh, it's a matter of a circumstance at the moment, so. Fair enough. Um, I'm kind of with Ryan. I'm going to pass on it, kind of for the reasons that Matt had said. Is that it, it, I said? Yeah, because it, it reminds me too much of, like, Get Out. 
you know? And I, it's hard, and not that it, not that it's fair or that you should make comparisons, but it, I mean, that, that movie's so good. I, yeah. And it's just like, do I need another one now? I don't know if or it's- at a, least for a while. I don't know how much it has in common with Get Out, probably very little. It's, it's almost like Hunger Games meets Clue. Um, Which I love Clue. Right. So, all right, guys, I, I can't wait for you to be eating your words next week after our review. You yes. know what I'd rather be eating right now? More of that More chocolate. chocolate. More chocolate. Hey, have at it, man. <laughs> One interested, three ignores, four, ready or not. But as Matt said, that is our planned review next week, so we will see it and review yeah, it. Yeah, we're not, not going to actually ignore it. Right. Speaking of new movies, Matt, two of my favorite actresses working today, Michelle Williams and Julianne Moore, have teamed up in the new film, After the Wedding. This is an American remake of a 2006 Danish film of the same name. Can these two powerful actresses bring the same level of drama and emotion as the original film? I put on my tux and hit the wedding ceremony to find out. So we have a list of priorities. I have the caterers on the line. I'm really sorry about that. You just caught me at a a very busy time. My daughter's getting married this weekend. Come to the wedding, we can get to know each other better. I pronounce you husband and wife. Congratulations. Everybody smile. Hi, good, you made it. Isabel runs an orphanage in India that I'm thinking of funding. Oh. Yeah. What are you doing here? The film opens with a beautiful aerial shot of India. Here we meet Isabel, played by Michelle Williams, who is working at an orphanage that is clearly underfunded. The good news is an American businesswoman wants to make a large donation to help. To seal the deal and make sure they secure the donation, Isabel must go meet Teresa, played by Julianne Moore, in New York, to propose how the foundation would use the funds. We then get a look at what is happening in Teresa's life. She is the founder and CEO of Horizon, a company she is planning to sell. She is happily married to Oscar, played by Billy Crudup, and their oldest daughter is getting married. After the initial meeting between Isabel, Teresa decides she needs more time before committing to the large donation. Being courteous, she invites Isabel to her daughter's wedding. It's here that Isabel sees Oscar, and it is clear to us that they have met in the past. Questions begin to swirl. What was their relationship? Did Teresa know? Can Isabel put differences aside to still secure the grant for the kids in India she cares for so much? The film really works for the first hour. It keeps you very intrigued as to what is going on and what motivations each character have. The acting is equally impressive. The film allows both Williams and Moore to have a couple of just standout scenes. However, the final third of the film fails to stick the landing. As a result, I was not nearly as emotionally invested as I was when I watched the original 2006 Danish film. If you've not seen the original, then you may like this one more than I did. The plot reveals secrets that not only push the plot forward, but also force other questions, which leads to more twists and turns. The rule of thumb here, Matt, is the original is always better, and that's the case here. The latest, After the Wedding, is unbalanced and seems to get away from the filmmakers near the end. Gotta wonder why, if the original is always better, they keep on making the remakes. They do this a ton. 
With they the, sure do. With the American remake of a, a foreign film, it's almost we constantly in, see it. I, and I don't know how to feel about that. A part of me is almost insulted by it, in all honesty. Although I have seen some that I prefer, or at least certain scenes of a remake that I prefer, like the girl with the dragon tattoo, for example. Yeah, and, and I was actually going to say that the opening of this film was probably... I was more into the, these characters than I was when I saw the Danish film. That may come down to a language barrier, too, and the f- being familiar with the actors and actresses on screen. No now, doubt. The, the lead actor in the Danish film is uh, Mads Milken. How do you Mikkelsen. say that? Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. Yes. And I love him. He's and, so damn good. Right. He was in the Star Wars movie. Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. Just to name a few. He's <laughs> currently he's a can Bond be seen, villain. Right, and he yeah. can be currently seen in uh, Arctic on Amazon Prime, which, which, which came out, really which good. is really good. Yeah. So and, he's in a lot, right? And Hannibal. Yes. But uh, thinking back to it, this, I think, was the first time I was, I knew him in 2006 in this original Danish film. I, at least I didn't know who he was. So well, may- no, you're right. That in 2006, like this was a film that for American audiences finally started to get to know who Mads was. Right. So, so the American version in the first hour, I think, was a bit more even intriguing. I was into these characters. So maybe that, because it's my language, it's easier to translate. Yeah, so that makes that, sense, man. Yeah, I was going to say. So maybe that is a motivation to constantly remake these foreign films into American remakes. I guess. I'm thinking like another great example is Let the Right One In and Let Me In. They don't even compare. The, the original is like so far superior. All right, Ryan. I'm just going to let you guys know that I just don't see the remakes. You don't? I don't. Unless I, unless somebody has gone out of their way to say it's its own thing or it does some nice flourishes in the right areas. I just I just don't see the remakes. I think we are sort of obligated to see them. Uh, oh, I'm here. not saying you shouldn't. Right, right. I'm just saying, like, as a film goer, sometimes I just, if I liked it so much, I just don't see it. Yeah, that's fair, I think. Like, like I've not seen Let Me In. I have not either. Or I've not seen Vanilla Sky. Sorry. Mm. Ooh, now that one I, I have Vanilla seen. Sky. Yeah. Everybody tries. Everybody's <laughs> trying to convince me, but Open Your Eyes was so damn good. All right, let's break this down a little further, Ryan. What about a uh, favorite scene? So I, I did enjoy the way they kept the mystery of the secrets for so long. There's a lot of good glances in this movie between like Michelle Williams and Billy Crudup, where some you, knowing you, looks. Yeah, you know something's going on, but it's not the the normal giveaway, and it doesn't go exactly where you probably predict, you know, we're seasoned to think where it's going. It's different than that. And if I had to pick one particular scene that I really liked was after more or less the first twist of this movie is revealed, there's an amazing scene in a kitchen between Julianne Moore, Michelle Williams, and Billy Crudup that's just one of those tense scenes where you can actually feel the tension in the theater watching it. I love that. I love that too. What about a a particular trouble with scene? I, I felt the film just stuck stuck around too long. The runtime is about an hour and fifty minutes, and it it really came off watching the end of this movie like they just just never knew when to end the film, properly end it in the right way. Hmm. And there there's a nice dinner sequence with a toast in the movie, and I, I wrote down in my journal somehow should have tied that in with maybe you know a collage of things happening over the toast and end the movie they just didn't know how to end this film hmm. maybe they could have cut a few minutes out mm-hmm. huh any influences uh, obviously the original danish film right, right. so i i do want to mention what they did different here and i don't know if this qualifies enough to have ryan see the film is what they did is they basically 
switch the gender roles no. of, of the two stories. No. So instead of, um, you know, a, a male coming back from the orphanage um, trying to get the donation, it's a female this time. It's obvious. And all the secrets are, are different. That's the main switch here is the genders. That's such mm-hmm. an easy, yeah. easy one. Did you learn anything? I learned that uh, Michelle Williams meditating with her eyes closed is still captivating to watch, that she can just act. I don't know what it is, but it's like, yeah, it's still fascinating. And there's a scene where she probably does it for about 30 seconds, and a lot of times you would be like, this is ridiculous, but when it's a good actress, it still somehow works. Uh, Somebody on the show once said they could watch Daniel Day-Lewis watch paint dry on screen. (laughs) I don't know if I agree with that, but I'll have to see this. All right, what about a movie poster quote? Like many wedding ceremonies, it goes on for too long. Mm. Ooh, ouch. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're just waiting to get to the bar. Yeah. How many Jaws are you giving this Two part? Jaws for this one. I went back. We weren't doing Cinema Jaw back in 2006, but I was keeping film journals back then. So I'm such a nerd. Wow, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I had written down on this original Danish film four Jaws. Well, we weren't doing Jaws at the time, but four stars. So I gave it a perfect rating when I saw the Danish version back then. So. All right. At least it reminded you about the Danish it film did. that you loved, and you can go it back did. and watch it. It did. So, All right. If you see After the Wedding, and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can always write us an email, feedback at CinemaJaw.com, because of all the secrets that the characters have in the movie After the Wedding, we decided to dedicate our top five on that. Ryan, you're our guest. We always like to ask, was this a difficult list to come up with, or was it just difficult to narrow it down to five? Where'd you fall? Difficult to narrow it down to five, and if you'll all humor me, I have two number ones, a tie. I still have two, three, four, and five, and some honorable mentions, but wow. I can talk fast, so you wow. might want to slow down. What do you got sitting podcast. at number five? I am nervous. Okay, well, okay, so I didn't want to do this all personal. I didn't want to do this all popular, like like cultural, you know, like what had an impact. And I didn't want to do this all historical, uh, you know, like uh, looking at film history. So I have a little bit of everything. You mixed it up a bit. I did, I, on purpose, by the way. Um, so at number five, uh, I wait, let's go back to the beginning of cinema. German Expressionism, 1920s, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which, uh, if you know this film, um, basically it sets the tone for this sort of plot device um, that gets used over and 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 over again. To this day. To this day, um, where basically the big secret is um, the guy is in a mental institution. Yeah. Right. Shutter Island. Yeah. Yep. But... 90 years before yeah. <laughs> Shutter Island. Nice. It's a good and, one. Uh, you know, and if you haven't seen the movie, please go back, do yourself a favor, and go back and discover some old classic uh, cinema. It's, 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 it's worth it. German Expressions in general is such an interesting watch. So, Good pick at number five. I do want to uh, step in here and say to the Jawheads, we decided not to pick anything of the last three years, so you don't have to worry about spoilers of a new movie. Yeah. It's a little bit older. Right. So. So if there's something we mentioned that's less than three or about exactly three years old and you don't want it spoiled, you've been warned. But everything should be kind of old. Mine's mm-hmm. no exception here. Man, I took a totally different turn on this than you did, uh, Ryan O. And I went with some more populist mainstream picks, I guess. Anyway, I- I'm going with one of the quintessential secrets of all time, which is the secret identity. Want to get this out of the way? I'm talking about Clark Kent 
Terrible. <laughs> terrible. It's What's not terrible. It's not terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the quintessential That's secret, what bring up for secret That's identity. Matt. That's hey, it's hey, not ridiculous. I'll get into my list some other big popular ones, but I am so glad you put that on Thank you. Oh. It may sound ridiculous oh. after just he gave German you expressionism, but... Three. <laughs> yeah. No more for you, Ryan, oh, the movie guy. Ryan, oh, you can have all the rest. Secret Clark Kent. Yeah, dude. Right. I mean, I, I'm not even going to explain it. Jawheads know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's glad that I, I take this approach for my list all the time. I try and try to go over movies that uh, I have not brought up on the, on the jaw and where I can squeeze them in on this topic. And here is my number five. I know I'd never have talked about this movie uh, since we've been doing the podcast. came out in 2007. I believe, let's throw this in the fish tank, I believe it's the only film that Steve Buscemi has directed. The film is called Interview, and it stars Buscemi, he also directed it, and Sienna Miller. And it's also a remake of, I believe, a, a, a Dutch film. I, I, I think it's an American remake. Um, that happens a lot, apparently. So here's the, 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 the gist of this movie is, uh, Buscemi plays a political correspondent um, who's assigned a job by his editor who he just feels that this job is underneath him, and that's to interview uh, Sienna Miller's character, who is basically like a socialite, uh, you know, hounded like by the paparazzi. Paris Hilton type. Exactly. So he's got to go interview her. He feels it's totally underneath her. Well, the interview goes absolutely crazy, and they end up, like, in an apartment. I believe it's her apartment, and, you know, there's drinking involved, drugs involved, and secrets are opened up, you know, and Buscemi's got a guy like that looks like Steve Buscemi's got skeletons in his closet. Are you kidding me? So th this guy opens up finally about things that have happened in his past with his wife and uh, so on and so forth. So the interviewer becomes the interviewee. interviewee. And uh, of course, a lot of this is caught on tape. There's, you know, some twists and turns. I'm not going to give everything away. Really odd film, to be honest. I never saw the original. I watched this movie and was sort of taken back that uh, it even existed. I don't know. if Have you seen this one, Ryan? Yeah, it's great. I, I love Sienna Miller. I love Steve Buscemi. I'm sorry, but, like, I, can't, I don't understand how, like, more love is not out there for Steve Buscemi. He's the best, so right? Good. There's a lot out there, but you're right. There could be more. I, I just wonder how much there really is, you know, but maybe there is, and I'm just uh, I'm blind to I it. I mean, but I'll go This with... is great. I'm, I'm so glad you threw this one in there. I, I actually, I'm really glad with both of your starts. Thank like, you. You've, you've gone in different directions. Neither of these films are on my list or even in my honorable mentions. Nice. My number five interview not the interview, just interview. Um, look for it, though. It's, yeah, not it's that Seth that. Rogen, James right, Frank. Exactly. Okay, good. Different good, film. Good. Great. My number five interview. Uh, we're into our fours, Ryan. My number four is Memento. Yes. Uh, Memento is it's a hell of a film, honestly. Oh, yeah. And it deserves every... I mean, it's so well-crafted, it's so well-edited, and like you're just kind of... The whole way through, you're trying to figure out what is going on. What is the secret behind this? Why Why is this guy, this schlep of a guy, Leonard, being used by this, uh, um, I don't remember the other guy's name, but it's played by Joe Pantoliano, and how is this happening? <laughs> and then you find out the secret, and it hits you so hard. And you're just like, damn. Oh, wow. You know, it just... 
everything is like built in this way to like hit you with like when you find out what you find out about it. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it right now because because um, in case you haven't seen it, uh, do yourself a favor. Go watch Memento. Please watch Memento. Memento was one of those films that we opened at the theater because it was an independently made movie. Mm-hmm. We opened it not knowing what it was going to be. We thought it was going to run for two or three weeks. It ran for 11 weeks. Wow. At the music box. I wouldn't have been surprised if you said 11 years. (laughs) Honestly, I I think like... Nolan's Nolan's lauded. He's held on high for his films. I didn't... Not a fan of Dunkirk. Honestly, it's been diminishing returns for me since Memento, which is, I think, his masterpiece. It's so good, Memento. So good. Um, But... For so many reasons, but, but it's like, like an onion. You're not, you're not, you're not a fan of the Prestige. No, I am. Okay. Do I think it's as good as Memento, though? No. Okay. okay. I, I don't. Fair but anyway, Another my number four, there. my number four, nice pick, is Memento. All right, I and like that it. was a personal choice. So I, I, I applaud it, sir. Uh, at number four, this is where I have an actor we haven't seen a lot of. He, although when we do see him, we've been seeing more of him. I'm talking about Russell Crowe as John Nash in A Beautiful Mind. And the secret here uh, was that he was uh, paranoid schizophrenic. He was hallucinating um, conspiracy theories about Soviet agents who were, uh, you know, putting codes within newspapers and, you know, regular media that he was trying to break. And, of course, it was all just nonsense. But his career he needed to hold together, so he kept all these hallucinations secret. Of course, he was also paranoid, so he didn't know who to trust. So he was keeping all these parts of himself hidden and uh it, it ate him up to the to the point where he, he completely broke apart i have to be honest i don't know if this movie holds up because i've only seen it the one time in the theater i've seen it twice i saw it at theater and then once at home and i, I think it's I, good i'm a little weary i'm it. right with you the last time i saw this movie was in theaters when it came out so i have no oh. idea if it holds up either but it did have an effect like i thought about this movie when i was making my list well, I, I rewatched the trailer today. I haven't rewatched the whole movie in a long time, and uh, it's you know, they, it's amazing how young they look. I know, but I but I do remember Russell Crowe was very good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he won like, the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it doesn't always mean something. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It means something. It doesn't always mean it was the best. Correct. Um, but yes, he was really good. He was really good. Well, at my number four, if I'm going to catch flack, it's going to be for this pick. But I wanted to bring it up because it, we haven't talked about it on the show, I think, since it came out, which was the year 2015. <clears throat> I look at it as M. Night Shyamalan's return to somewhat form with The Visit. Man, you, wah, gave, me, you gave me crap for Superman, and you're going with The Visit? The Visit. Okay, okay, I knew there'd be some Shyamalan on here, okay. but the visit, you need to explain yourself. Well, because we are talking about character secrets. Secrets. And the, the secret here being that you have uh, two teenage Wait, is this less kids. than three years old? Yeah, well, 2015, so four, oh, four years, years now. Okay, all right. You have two teenage kids who are going to do a five-day visit to their grandparents who they've never met. Which is weird right Very off the strange, bat. Very yeah. right? But they explain it in some way because, you know, their mom married somebody that they didn't uh, agree to. or You know, who knows? So they end up taking a train to meet the grandparents, and the grandparents are there when they get off the train to greet them. And they end up staying with them. Now, some weird occurrences start to happen in the house uh, throughout the nights. Strange things are going down. Nana's walking around naked. But it turns out... and. Uh, not that big of a spoiler because I think everybody knows what's gonna what we're about to say. It's an M Night movie. 
the old people aren't actually the grandparents. And that's the secret. They know, obviously, that they're not the grandparents, and that's their characters holding that secret. It's weak. It's weak. I like the movie. All right, fine. I'm just saying, out of all the Shyamalans, you're going to throw the visit. Okay. (laughs) There's better Shyamalans. I lost Ryan. I I lost Ryan. You could have gotten Lady in the Water, and I would have been okay with that. (laughs) Really? More than the visit. Oh, okay. All right. Number three. Into our threes. Number three. This is a personal one. Man, it messed me up. Oh, 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 God. Ben Wheatley, you are a sadistic human being. This is 2011's Kill List. Have you seen this movie? No. Have not. No. Oh, well, then I can't spoil it. Writing it down in my journal. All right. Here's the deal. Two contract killers, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, despicable, like, human beings. They're hitmen, but they make a living out of it, right? So these are middle-aged men who... What they do for a job for 10, 15, 20 years, they have killed people. Mm -hmm. All right? So the main character, played by Neil Maskell, who is fantastic. He's a great uh, British actor. Uh, He he plays this character, Jay. And Jay is a despicable human being. You don't really like him. But the one thing that he cares about is his wife and kid. Right? So he's a a human in those moments. Right? And so it, this movie is sort of looking at him at midlife crisis, whatever, um, and then him getting this job uh, to go on this this kill list, right? Like specific kill list. Like you kill this person, you kill this person, you kill this person, nobody else. And with it, with his his uh, his mate, sort uh, of in Bruges. Yes, okay. kind of. Okay, no comedy. <laughs> really, uh, turns out that these people that he's killing are kind of wanting it, okay, and are being weird about it, and there's a lot of, like, secrecy around it and, like, what's really going on and who else is playing into this and where is this all going and what's it leading up to because, oh, my God, what it leads up to (laughs) is twisted. (laughs) I could tell by the look on his face. It, uh, if you've seen Kill List, I know that the look on your face is, is recognition <laughs> for what I'm saying. And I'm not spoiling it to my, uh, to my two podcasters wow. here uh, because you should just see the film. Do not watch it with anybody that, you know, might be faint of heart or might not enjoy the sadistic or darker side of the world. I'll say that. Okay. But Ben Wheatley. I am incredibly hey, intrigued. I am going to see it. All right. That, that swings it over to me. And, and I, I sort of preface this list saying that I, I went sort of mainstream, but I think this is one of the best movie secrets. Uh, it certainly saves the Star Wars prequel trilogy from being a total waste of time, in my opinion. And that is the secret kept by Chancellor Palpatine, who is actually a Sith Lord. Weak. No, it's not, not weak, Ryan. No, You're no, wrong. Not weak. I, it's not weak at all. You gotta go the visit here. No. The visit is nothing compared to the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And really, like I said, that, that all hinges on, on Palpatine. I saw the prequel trilogy and then I okay, saw the visit. I guess, who, who here in this room actually watched even Phantom Menace and didn't somewhat more or less know that the Chancellor was? So it oh, was no, the we secret, all knew. The audience, I know. Well, we're doing secrets. We, the audience, didn't think it was much of a secret. We're doing but secrets this, kept by characters. Like, yes. Yeah, exactly. Is this, is this, whether it's a good secret or a bad secret or well-kept or not, it's still a secret. And he's keeping this from literally a mind-reading 
group of superheroes that, that, that like, I sense a disturbance in the force. Well, they didn't sense his ass because he busts out a red lightsaber and starts hacking him to bits. And they just thought he was a, a politician, you know? Oh, thank you for that one-liner. All hey, right. You're welcome. Mace Windu didn't see that shit coming. <laughs> Swings it over to my number three, much smaller film than the Star Wars movies. 2015, again, relatively new, directed by Joel Edgerton. And uh, this was a small film that I thought was really well played. It's Joel Edgerton, Jason Bateman, and Rebecca Hall. It is called The Gift. And this is where Bateman is married to Rebecca Hall's character, and they move from Chicago to Los Angeles. And while he's out running some errands, he runs into an old classmate who's played by Joel Edgerton, and they, you know, start talking about how he moved out there. Well, Edgerton then starts to leave them gifts at their their door. Right, uh, even on their putting, doorstep. Yeah. Uh, koi in their pond, filling it up, you know, their pond with koi, and all this weird stuff. And, and Bateman just thinks he's getting, you know, too close to the family. And, and that's the, the fun of this movie is that's where we think this is going, is that Joel Edgerton is a total creep. But we come to find out there's a secret here, Matt, and it's, it's held by Jason Bateman. Um, for those who haven't seen it, there is a relationship between Bateman and Joel Edgerton from the past with, with secrets involved that really affected Joel Edgerton's character. And it gets pretty twisted at the end, and I really like the ending because it's sort of ambiguous to exactly what, what transpired, um, the last final shot. Enjoyed the hell out of the gift. You guys have seen this one? I have not. Good choice. Still like caught up I love it. Edgerton. Edgerton. Uh, the Edgerton brothers, Nash and Joel. I'll see him. This was a good one. And it was Jason Bateman drama, which now is we know. Rare. Him, yeah, but we know it, it more is, and more. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, ooh, can I buy Jason Bateman in a pure drama role? But this one, totally. Yeah. The gift. Love it. I like me some Bateman. Right. I think yep. he's underrated. Nice, uh, I like that. Right. Um, Into our two as we go, Ryan. All right. Here's another uh, personal pick, but it's also pop culture. I mean, Jesus Christ, this film. People know it. Uh, it is 1995, David Fincher's The Usual Suspects. Oh, yeah. And I'm sorry, but Kaiser Sose. Yeah. Kaiser Sose. Kaiser Sose. Ver- you know, verbal I mean, Kint, verbal a.k.a. Verbal Kint. Uh, I mean, the, su- the surprise that, you know, and I, I, I'm spoiling it because you've seen this. Right. I know you have that, you know, that Ke- uh, Kevin Spacey, Verbal Kint, who's like, you know, this meek, you know, um, sort of handicapped individual the whole time is Kaiser Sose and the way he's spinning this web and telling this lie and keeping this secret the whole time. It's just all, like, the film is all built up to that and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It's so well done. Um, is, is that the movie where it, the line, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing it? the world he didn't exist? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's you a just, great just line. Pulled it out. It's right a classic. There. Yeah, no, Usual Suspects is great. Um, David Fincher's hell of a director. He knows what he's doing. I love when he has good source material. David Fincher, give give David Fincher a good script, and he will give you a hell of a movie mm-hmm. or a TV show, too. Um, he just will. So, number two for me, Usual Suspects. No arguments on that None. one. Uh, speaking of Batemans, as we were on Ryan's uh, last pick, I'm going with a Patrick Bateman oh, here. I thought you were going Justine. No, no. Where do you go with Justine Bateman? I don't know. Uh, outside of family ties. Well, I thought maybe there was a secret. 
Um, no, no. Patrick Bateman as played by Christian Bale in American Psycho. And of course, the secret he is keeping, he's, he's got this sort of like three-piece suit exterior, you know, I'm in mergers and acquisitions, but he actually said he's in murders and, and dismemberments or something like that. And, he, you know, by night, he's a serial killer. Not always by night, just, just in his other life. And how those two sort of weave in and out of each other, those two uh, personas, is the comedy of American Psycho and the genius of American Psycho. I think it's probably one of the better horror movies of the past 20 years. Oh, absolutely. It's up there for sure. This is one I got to rewatch uh, quite badly. I have it written down as a rewatch this year because I haven't seen it in so long. We talk about it on the jaw all the time. Uh, so. Well, I have rewatched it recently, and it's just as good as the first time I watched it. It's, it's fantastic. And it's actually, my challenge to myself is reading the book. I've never read the book. I got to do that. I have read the book. Is it good? It's, it's really good. Better than the film? No. No? Interesting. No. Well, different. It's, yes, it's different. Okay. And I just, I love what that film did. Um, but the book is really good on its own, too. So I, they're cut. I think they can live separately separately yeah and very well cool nice nice um, pick at number two mine is a, a 2011 film with michael fassbender in it okay all right and also mia wasikowski i'll go with ryan's pronunciation sounds pretty good to me i'm speaking of jane Eyre, 2011 um well you're sticking to 2011 man mia plays the title character, Jane Eyre, who goes to work as a governess uh, at the Thornfield Hall. The man of the estate there is Edward Rochester, played by Michael Fassbender. And the two begin to fall in love. But because of their different classes, nothing's quite for sure. And it's almost a little bit of a haunted house-like movie because there's noises at night, strange occurrences taking place at night. This is actually a movie that has a lot of great dark scenes that are just lit by candle. So if you have one of those newer TVs and you have this on Blu-ray, this is one of those like fun watches uh, to see all the, like, the dark levels in, in there. And the secret here being that Michael Fassbender, who we, we come to see, we think is just this single guy, is not single. He, he is married. And, um, of course, there's, there's a twist on that fact as well so i don't want to give that away but it is a very well-told movie if if for some reason you hear jane Eyre and you think like i'm gonna be bored you're not it's a beautiful film so well shot so well acted and the twist at the end i i, I was all in on jane Eyre. i love this movie ryan mia and michael are fantastic actors and i would watch them in just about any movie yep no arguments. My number two, Jane Eyre. Here we go into our number ones. I got a tie. What? Sorry, Not guys. allowed on Cinema Job. But no, Ryan at the music box. I, listen. Hey, because you're turning 90. I had 90, to get them in. Because you're turning 90, we'll allow it. I had to get them in because pop culture and, like, not just pop culture, but the things that affected culture in a mass populist way, these two movies had an insane effect on people Watch when they watch them. All right, tied for number one. We've got how do we put this? We got this Star Wars movie from 1980 called Empire Strikes Ooh. Back, where basically Darth Vader uh, informs Luke Skywalker of the secret that is uh, he is 
you know, the father. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, we've heard this one. Yeah, we've all heard it. <laughs> and so I'm not spoiling anything, but I mean, this thing had a massive impact. And I want to say right now that I don't think the Star Wars trilogy and then thus the prequels and the sequels are what they are without like these turns. Right. I, I think A New Hope is great, but what The Empire Strikes Back did is made this thing into a franchise or whatever you want to call it and allowed for prequels and sequels by, you know, throwing this bombshell on us. Um, and then I think it really had an effect on the ability to do more with these stories and these generational st- pieces to it. Um, it certainly added a layer of complexity. Yes. Um, so that's that's that's. That's the tie. That's one part of my tie. The second thing is, um, got to go to the movie history here. It's Alfred Hitchcock's uh, 1960 Psycho. Ooh, uh, the, I love the that. The fact pick. that uh, Anthony Perkins, who plays Norman Bates, is pretending that his mother is alive. Yeah. And that his mother's perpetrating these killings. And in reality, it is him mm. in a wig and a dress that is, that is doing this. Shocked. I think I mean, it's a secret. Generally shocked audience. It did. I think it's a secret even to to Norman Bates. He, yes. he doesn't even know that 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 mother is dead. He he believes she's alive. You know. Right. Um, and so that's why you know I had to finish this out with you know two things that I think hit a, a swath of people that saw movies you know all across the world and it just like had an impact and even though they're like twenty years apart two different generations, they, people, they're, they're known. I mean, they're just a part of popular culture. People oh, yeah. just know these secrets and things. So that's why I had a tie. That's why I had six in my fives. I have honorable mentions too, but I'm not going to get to those right now because I want Ryan, to hear Ryan more went classics for his number one. Yeah. Um, Matt, Star Wars and Psycho. I mean, it, it's, what do tough, you got? it's tough to top that. But I will say that, um, like Anthony Perkins, who was a, a gay man, but during the time of the filming of Psycho, was uh, in the closet. He was not publicly out, um, which is a secret that a lot of people keep, unfortunately, and a lot of people in movies keep this as well. One that comes to mind that I cared for quite a bit, it's a great movie, very harrowing, very um, tough to watch at, at, at times, but I think it's a, just a wonderful piece of art, is Boys Don't Cry. And the character is Brandon Tina, played by Hilary Swank, who mm. won the, the best uh, the best actress for for mm-hmm. the role. It's a story about a, a transgender person who um, moves to, you know, it's kind of a, a rural community, small town like Nowheresville, which is just it's scary for anybody, but for for a transgender person, it's like doubly scary. And um, she falls in love, and it just becomes sort of a nightmare situation when her secret gets found out that she's biologically female and it's just kind of harrowing what happens and it's a, it's a true story that the historical accuracy has been debated um and that is what it is people can do their own research on that but i think the film stands up uh in and of itself and it's a good movie it is tough watch but a good watch yeah like definitely good watch Leaves it to me for number one, and hopefully Ryan's seen this one, because I know Matt has not seen my, my number one pick. Came out in 2006. The name Pedro Amaldivar is... Well, I voted for Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank see? you, Napoleon. You, you see how simple Matt <laughs> makes it, but Pedro Amaldivar, a master of cinema, worked with Penelope Cruz numerous times before American audiences really got to know who Penelope Cruz was. 
In 2006, for my money, I think they collaborated with, uh, was their best collaboration, and that is the film Volver. I'm getting thumbs up from Ryan yeah, already. No, this is a great film. Keep going. So I, 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 I don't use it a lot. I'd actually go as far as to say I think this is a masterpiece. Truly great cinema. And recapping the story because of how convoluted the plot is is, is going to sound crazy. But in, in a nutshell, you have Penelope Cruz, um, who has a, a teenage daughter, and also her sister. And they basically live in a town in Spain. And basically... Penelope Cruz and her sister, their, their parents had passed away in a fire three years ago. But people are seeing the ghost of her mother walking around town. And this is in like a small town where the townspeople actually believe in ghosts. Sure. And they all around. know each other. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they believe that the ghost of this mother is walking around. Uh, another side story is that um, Penelope Cruz's teenage daughter is... Um, being sexually abused by the person who Penelope Cruz is with, who she believes is her father, not her father, one secret in the movie. So they end up killing this man, and then that becomes a secret where they hide the body, right? But you still got this whole ghost story, oh, which I is... I love it when the secrets pile up, man. Right. You still got this whole ghost walking around town, which is a secret. You got a dead body in a freezer, which is a secret, and it just digs deeper and more secrets of this family... Uh, come to light and it's really dark and twisted and when I, I recapped reading what the plot was I thought who even could have came up with this I, I have no, I have no idea who came up with this story it's that out there but it works so well if, if you have not seen Volver like I said I, I really do think it's a masterpiece I you've seen it yeah I agree. What's well, a dark take? Dark take on comedy of errors right so it goes it's sort of a Shakespeare-esque type thing yeah and, and it's it's more of a drama. I mean, it's it's sort of light in a way, I guess. Uh, but it, it as the more the the film goes on, the secrets come out. The more drama is involved. I think when the film first starts, you're sort of laughing at the idea that people are seeing the ghost of their their mother walking around town and and so on and so forth. Once everything comes to light, I mean, the the it's secrets, just really heavy. Yeah, the secrets that they're hiding are are quite twisted and dark family secrets. Ooh, I love it. That well, sounds good. Um, if I may, one of my honorable mentions was a Pedro Almodovar film, and that was The Skin I Live In. Mm, another great which one. Which is, yeah. uh, oh man, that's twisted. That's uh, Antonio Banderas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, one's Very weird. twisted about uh, uh, a plastic surgeon who you think is creating something new and uh, beneficial for humanity, but it's way more twisted than that. Mm -hmm. um, if I may, I'll just throw out a yeah, my couple honorable mentions. Yes, uh, yes, yes. 1999's David Fincher's Fight Club. Good, pretty good uh, pretty big surprise oh, yeah. there. You don't and talk about Fight Club. You don't. <laughs> we don't here. Uh, 2003's uh, uh, Old Boy. Nice one. Which is uh, a secret oh, that yeah. definitely yep. messes you up. Uh, <laughs> here's a film that just... <laughs> I'm a big horror fan, so this is a film that is like in the horror canon. But 1983's Sleepaway Camp. That's I a don't secret. know if I've even seen this. 80s mm. horror? 1983 Sleepaway Camp. Here is a secret that will end you. I mean, it's just yeah. like, you're just like, who's the killer? What's going on? Nobody and sleeps then when this you camp. find out who the killer is and why they're killing people and that final shot. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. my God. That's Sleepaway the one I'm writing camp, down. 1983. 
Uh, and then the the fifth one that I had was for an honorable mention was Chinatown. Chinatown, Basically, you know, Absolutely. when you find out, you know that my mother, my mother, my, and sister. my sister. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come Classic. on. It's like, it's Classic. a yeah. Uh, absolutely. No so, argument here. I, 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 had, I had to put those out there, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, Honorables. Yeah. I, I threw them all on the all page. Right. I got uh, Gone Girl, which the secret was that she was around the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernie. Bernie. With Jack Black. I was thinking oh, about I Bernie. Love Bernie. <laughs> God, that's such a good film. Yeah, I mean, again, talk about a dead body in a freezer. Um, Bernie is fantastic. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, all about like the family dark secrets. Yep. Love it. Stories We Tell. I've brought this movie up, the documentary by Sarah Polly, yep. who is really uncovering the secret that who she thought was her dad the entire time is not her dad. Pretty wild. Uh, Incendies. I brought this oh, movie on up. On uh, I say Incendies. On Sundays. Oh, listen, listen to Ryan go. It's French, Montreal right. French. But uh, holy, what a great movie! That is a gut punch. Right. When you find out at the end the reality, I swear to God, like I literally had the breath taken out of me. I did too. And last but not least, see on, on Ryan O's recommendation, I might see it. He's been talking about it for years. I'm like, eh. Oh no! It's Denny Veneu- uh, Villeneuve, Villeneuve. You know, yeah. you know Arrival, Blade. For it. This was this his, is his first film, and he know. Oh man, he, he knows. knows how to tell a story, and he knows how to nail something. Like when you have to hit a plot point, mm-hmm. he Got knows how down. to do it. All right, if we missed a movie with a great character secret, and which we Pitter definitely did, because I thought about like fifty more. Same. Cheers. Shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a quick break. When we come back, we have a cinema war looking at RoboCop versus The Terminator plus Music Box movie trivia. Stick with us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's In honor of CinemaJaw's Morgan Freeman month, Let's we get religious with Morgan lobby. with this clip from Bruce Almighty. You must be Bruce. I've been expecting you. This is hilarious. So you're the boss and the electrician and the janitor. Must be a killer Christmas party. Don't get drunk, though. One of you might need a ride home. (laughs) (laughs) You always were funny, Bruce. Just like your father. He didn't mind rolling up his sleeves, either, son. People underestimate the benefit of good old manual labor. It's freedom in it. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling to high heavens at the end of the day. All right, what is this? How do you know my father, and how do you get my pager number? Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said, or done, or thought about doing, right there in that file cabinet. Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Mind if I take a look? Sure, like. Hey, Jawheads, it's Matt K. with a quick reminder of this month's riddle. Here we go. I am afraid, very afraid, not of roller coasters. I used to work at an amusement park. And not of skeletons either. I made a movie in their name. Falling food from the sky? Now that is scary. 
Now let me bust this high school party and take all their gold slick vodka. Who am I? If you think you know the answer, write us, DM us, send us smoke signals, get in touch on the socials with the correct answer, and you will be entered to win a Fandango gift card or the honor of taking me on in trivia. Good luck, Jawheads. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Ryan Ostrike, GM of the famed Music Box Theater, which is celebrating its 90th anniversary, August 22nd, full week celebration. Go to themusicboxtheater.com and you'll see everything that's happening from the 22nd all the way through the 27th. There's film fests, as we mentioned, little mini ones, like Dolly, Dolly Parton. There's double features. There's silent films. There's a movie playing where just the organist is going to be accompanying silent movies yeah yeah accompanying the the film so please do get out to the music box and help us celebrate this jewel inside the city question for you ryan i was out there on a film festival that you run that the music box run runs called synpocalypse i've been out there a couple of times it's a wonderful festival it's a, jo- a genre festival horror Horror sci-fi. Horror sci-fi action cult or WTF. Yeah. Grind. Grind. I love it. A little grindy. A little action. Yeah. And I told a story probably about a month's time back about the opening night of Synpocalypse, which opened up with Matt's hero of sorts. He's wearing a Misfits (laughs) t-shirt. Again, this is total coincidence. (laughs) No, it's just that you wear the same shirt every single week. Uh, His his hero, Glenn Danzig, had made a movie. And it was called Veronica. Yeah. And what was great, and I told this story without you in the room, and, and basically I, I, I summed it up as this. I, I went into the seat. I sat in the like, second or third row, and there was a delay. And I, I oh, felt like God. I was on the Titanic. And I wanted to get the inside word on how bad did we hit the iceberg? So I got up from my seat. I went to the Music Box Lounge. I saw you and I saw Steve Procopi. And I, met, I asked, how bad is it? And I think it was Steve that answered. Maybe you would, gave me a little indication as well as exactly what had transpired. But that Glenn Danzig had left the, the premises with the film to make an edit this just never happens. To give Jawheads an idea at home, usually studios have screened movies. People know what's going on. The vibe inside the music box theater, and I was trying to describe this, was like something I had never quite felt because it, it, it literally felt dangerous. I, we didn't know what we had. Am I that's, summing it up right? That's awesome, by Am the way. Am I summing it up right, Ryan? Yeah, you, I mean, it's like a rock star. It's like a rock star who says, um, I'm going to go on when I want to go on, right? I'm going to make that crowd wait. They're going to be chanting my name. They're going to be screaming. They're going to be blood-curdling, wanting my name. They're almost going to be screaming, refund, refund. And we were you at know, the end. <laughs> um, because they're waiting so long. And what the hell are they waiting for? I mean, you know they're in the house. You know that they've checked their guitars. You know that they've checked their microphones and they've got their stupid brown M&Ms and everything on their tech writer and whatnot. So why the hell is the thing not starting? There's a good reason why it wasn't starting. Or was it a good reason? No, it wasn't a good reason, but it's a reason. 
God, how much do I want to say? It was it was a night that took years off my life. <laughs> I think I hate slash love Glenn. Good he times. Is, he is everything that everybody says about him and more with just moments that you actually kind of really like the human. Like you like there you have like like moments where you're just like, oh yeah, this is this is this is this is fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I just I, I, okay, I'll give you a story. Please one do, story just one. The night. All right, go. All right, so there was this long back and forth of getting this film, right? And the film wouldn't come without Glenn, and Glenn wouldn't come without getting paid, okay? Because, you know. Because he's, he's a rock star. He's a rock star, right? And so he went, like, way under what he normally gets paid to come. Um, and But, you know, the big thing was back and forth, will you go to the opening night party? which is over at the G-Man Tavern, okay? Which and is a smaller venue. Smaller uh, venue, but it's part of the Metro, <laughs> Smart Bar, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I uh, can't believe I'm telling this story. I probably shouldn't. But um, Those are the so best ones. So Glenn, Glenn was like, okay, fine. I'll go to the after party. And we were like, it's going to be really fun. It's at the G-Man Tavern. He's like, oh, G-Man, I know where that is. I played a lot of show at the Metro. I like those guys. I like the owner of that place. It's going to be fun. And we're like, Glenn, it's metal karaoke. He's like, okay, that should be fun. So I had to get this special car, you know, to privately take him over from the music box. G-Man, this is I a, walked it. For yeah. the Jawheads, I walked from there. And it's this about is a easy walk. About a mile, close. right? Less than a mile. Um, so we, we pull him up, and there's this back entrance, right, where nobody is. And it's, like, roped off. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the guy who's running the, the show, the, the event that night, he's, he's a really cool guy. He's, like, really helping me out. And he's, like setting everything up. There's like drink specials and all this stuff. So he's like opens the back door so we can walk in. We park the car. We're getting out. And as we're getting out, some dude, and I don't know why this was even on the playlist. Why was this on the karaoke playlist? Is belting mother as a karaoke song. Why wouldn't it be on the playlist? I mean, was dancing offended? Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. He gets out of the, the Subaru, like we're not Subaru, uh, Suburban, uh-huh. you know, this giant SUV. He walks out and he's starting to walk in. And, the, you know, the guy who's like got the door holding up and the music is coming out of that. And he hears his music and he hears somebody poorly belting it. his song. And he just turns and he looks at me, and goes, I can't go in there. Nope, not going in there. And then he like looks around. And he looks at everybody who's with him. There's an entourage. And he's like, I'm not going fucking in there. No, I'm not going fucking in there. And then he, like, looks around some more. And then he sees, like, there's, like, this, like, side spot behind the door. It's very dark. And he goes, I'm just going to go stand over there. You guys figure this shit out. And so we're like, okay, so this dude is contractually obligated to go to this after party. He will not go to this after party because people are singing his music karaoke very poorly, um, which why that was on there in the first... Just bad timing, yeah. Horrible timing. So we're just sitting there. We're talking to him. We're trying to see what he'll do. Does he want to go to this party? We told everybody in the theater that he would go to this party, that he would make an appearance, and... All of these people are super excited. They're hanging out. They're having a great time at this after party. They're all dressed after- like me. Probably. The food was good. The food, yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, after 20 minutes of debating with Glenn, he was just like, I'm not doing it. Nope. I'm not going in there. Nothing you can do or say. I'm not doing it. So we had to take him into the metro, right? And the metro was closed that night. 
so that he could like figure out what he wanted to do next because he didn't want to go home or to his hotel. He wasn't going into that party. And in the end, they found some ridiculous like Korean barbecue steakhouse because he only cooks his meat over open flame. That sounds like him. Uh, that was open until 3 a.m. And I was like, this is where my night ends with Glenn. And somebody else took him out. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I'm going to go back into that after party that he didn't want to be a part of and get as drunk as humanly possible and try to forget what just happened tonight. Wow. wow. What's great, too, is is I didn't know this backstory. Nobody I, was closer to it than, right. than Ryan here. I, I literally walked to that after party, and I said to myself, even though it was billed that Glenn Danzig was going to go to this after party, I just assumed he never was going to come, to be honest. that I, I just, from the stories Matt had told me, I thought, I doubt he ever shows. So I got there. I had some food. They were doing the karaoke. I had a few drinks. Did you hear the mother karaoke, by the I, way? I, I can't even remember, to be it absolutely honest. It was done honest. twice, by the way. Yeah. I'm sure it was because they, they were playing, you know, all that kind of music, Misfits you know, and, and everybody was all excited. Um, I talked some movies with uh, a movie guy, um, Leo. you know, other critics. And, and then I was like, well, I don't know. It's getting late. I haven't seen him. I'm out of here. And now I, I hear he didn't show. So he was around. Yeah. Just <laughs> just not in my sight. No. Nope. Wow. Wow. Always good hearing stories like this. I got a feeling there's more there. but There is, but I'm only going to say so much. I'll say rest off the air. (laughs) We'll leave it there. Good stuff. Um, Before we get to trivia and before we get to cinema, we did throw a few items into the fish tank. And I know Phil wants to swim up to the top and tell us what we missed. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yes, thank you guys so much. Uh, it's good to be out. Let's start. Uh, the first one, when did Multiplicity come out? Uh, that film came out in 1996. Ooh, so I was way off. off. Over 20 years uh, since that. But I did look at it, and Andy McDowell has been in a few other things since then. Most of them are TV, which would explain why on Cinema Jaw, we don't hear from her as much. Um, but some of her more recent film credits include the uh, she was in the Footloose remake, Magic Mike Double XL, which I know we all saw, and last year's The Beach House. So she is hey, in stuff. Don't hate on Double XL. Good movie. Oh, I'm not hate. No, Footloose was the one I meant to hate on. I apologize. How do you uh, can hate on Footloose, dude? The remake. Oh, the remake. The sucks. remake. Yeah. Very important. <clears throat> important distinction. Um, uh, and then has Steve Buscemi directed more than the interview? He actually has. Uh, he most of them are smaller films uh, that he did before the interview, uh, but his his directorial feature length debut was in 1996 with Trees Lounge. <gasps> That's right. I've seen Trees Lounge. You like yes, Trees Lounge? I have. I've mentioned it on the job. I forgot he directed that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then also he did in 2000 he did a, a prison drama called Animal Factory, and then 2005's Lonesome Jim. So he, he's been around the block. Right. He's been doing stuff, and he does Had no idea. Keep going, Steve. Yeah. He's done a lot of TV work uh, similar to Andy as well. Uh, he did a couple episodes of 30 Rock in Portlandia, many more. He's Boardwalk Empire for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Was that everything? That's all we got. All right. Jump back in that fish tank. Will do. 
Matt brings us to a segment called Cinema War. The war, it works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on a topic. Our guest, Ryan Ostrike, gets to play judge and jury and tell the Jawheads at home who he thinks won this cinema war. Phil, Robocop, Terminator, what the hell we got going on here? Yes, Ryan, this week you're going to be deciding which robotic sci-fi film is better. And to clarify, we're only talking about the first installments, not the series as a whole. RoboCop or The Terminator? Matt, you've got RoboCop, and Ryan, you've got The Terminator. Let this half-machine, half-jackass cinema war begin. Dead or alive, Ryan, you're coming with me. This is about which film is the better sci-fi entry and not which is the better film, period. Still an arguable point, but one and only one of these movies has a Saturn Award, sci-fi's top honor. For that matter, only one of them was nominated for three Oscars and won one RoboCop. Matt, we're talking about Peter Weller versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're talking about Nancy Hamilton, who? Versus Linda Hamilton. We're talking about a machine called RoboCop versus a machine called a Terminator. We're talking about Detroit versus Los Angeles. Terminator is far superior in every way. Heck, I doubt RoboCop exists if it was not for the success of the Terminator. Mm, Very arguable. I'd buy that for a dollar, right? RoboCop is far more culturally significant for its contribution to 80s design aesthetic and cyberpunk music and fashion. Terminator, by comparison, seems clumsy. Here's an example. PTP is the band playing during the nightclub scene of RoboCop, which consisted of members of Ministry and Skinny Puppy, industrial music giants. The track being played was only available on the RoboCop soundtrack until 2004. The nightclub scene in Terminator is Tani Kane and the Triangles with a Z burning in the third degree. Disco crap. Yeah, but look at probably the budgets of these two films. Authenticity, Ryan. Right. I'll be back. Skynet. Judgment Day. So many memorable phrases from the Terminator. I like RoboCop, but be honest. How many times can you watch that film? Replayability is key, and you have to agree the Terminator rules in that department. I don't think so, man. I love RoboCop. If you were talking T2 here, you might have the edge, because that is the movie that defined the series. The original Terminator was just a rental hall poster boy. Effects, editing, sound are all superior, far superior in RoboCop. The Melting Man, for example, was an homage to the 1977 classic, The Incredible Melting Man. No such care was taken by Cameron, who only apes himself. All right, the Terminator launched two massive careers in Hollywood. Arnold, who would go on to be the biggest action star of the 80s and 90s. James Cameron, meanwhile, went on to be one of the biggest blockbuster directors of all time. People would go on to wait in line to see the movies that buy these two. Did anyone, anyone ever wait in line to see another Peter Weller film? No. I I don't think that argument holds water. Unobtainium, Ryan. Come quietly or there will be trouble. Everything that Terminator did, RoboCop did with more style and more panache. Paste Magazine recently made a list of the 100 most important sci-fi films of all time, Ryan. RoboCop slides in at number 12. Terminator, 21. Didn't even make it into the top 20. 
the ending of the Terminator gave a generation nightmares. RoboCop, while fun and bloody in its own right, did not have the lasting effect of the Terminator. I'm sorry. The creative camera take to show us what the Terminator is seeing was so innovative at the time. The story was a head-scratcher. The action sequence, action sequences were jam-packed. Matt, your argument has been terminated. <laughs> I'll be back. We are button heads here as we do... Every time we play Cinemore, we throw it to our guest, our jury. Ryan, what did you think of this Cinemore? Great argument, honestly. Really good points on both sides. Um, very pleased with your enthusiasm for both films, and I'm so happy that we're doing a double feature of them, and I, and I, and I hope people see both. I really do. Um, I have to go with the... Okay, so, you know, there's... I can't do a tie. Because no, just, you can't. No, you got to pick a winner on Cinema I know, But there's so much to RoboCop. I mean, the first X rating with violence. I mean, seriously, with a country that loves violence in its movies, right? I mean, to go out of your way to just just throw it in our faces, like rub your face in it. Just, oh, you're going to get everything and more of it. Give that with, man a hand. With, yeah, with RoboCop. I mean, just what Paul Verhoeven did, you know, an outsider just looking in and just seeing how despicable we are and how much we love violence and how much we love, like, we're going to kill the bad guy and we're going to mutilate them in any way possible. I mean, it's just so good. Um, but I'm sorry. You're giving it's, it to Terminator? It's Terminator because yes. because of what it creates, right? But that's the whole low... point. We're not going with the whole series. No, no. It's not about the whole series. Uh, it's about the mythology that it creates. It's about things that it starts. It's about the low budget and what they created out of that low totally. budget. Um, that I got to give it to the Terminator. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I really thought I had this no, one. No, I thought I won this one. Uh, for, for, for the record, I, I, I firmly disagree. Oh, wow! You, you should. Wow! You absolutely should. Hey, I'd love fine. to give it a tie. Hey, but I, if won, I, I have Hey, to a choose. couple of a couple of Ryan's in the room. You know. Yeah, that's it. Ryan's ah, United. Ah. No, good pick. I want to say because we went I, out. And I met, still love you, Ryan. O. quick. Thank you. Thirty second uh, rant. Okay, go ahead. Because we met uh, Darren and his wife Mandy from New Zealand. I thought, you know what? This is great. You should guys should do this, even if it's not just Cinema Jaw. If you're listening to a podcast, reach out to people because the connection I think we all felt. Uh, Phil, Matt, I, Matt, your wife uh, Heather was there. I I love the connection that this podcast can make. As small as it is, to sit there and have beers with somebody that lives halfway across the world and all the and way across the world has this common bond of cinema with us, and that we could talk film at the Music Box Lounge was literally so special that if you're listening to a podcast, even if it isn't Cinema Jaw, but it's it's something else out there and you're visiting that city, literally reach out to the guests and the people and the, the hosts that uh, do the podcast because I'm telling you, everybody would benefit from it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. That's uh, a cinema war that I'm glad I, I lost because that, that uh, rant was actually worthwhile, Ryan. Yeah. It's rare, but it, it happened. And, and, and it came at a time where, you know, we're hearing a lot of, you know, so much negativity in the news. And then you have, like, a great meeting with people like that. And you think, well, God damn it, there is hope in this world, right? Yeah. We are connected somehow. You might even how call did it, this happen? You might even call it a new hope. I, I, I don't know how many times I've walked out of that uh, 
Music Box Lounge, all happy all of a sudden. Like, you know what? The world's okay. But I, both films are still so relevant today. Yeah. Honestly. We're still talking about RoboCop and... and <laughs> He's still on it. He's still on it. <laughs> I agree with you, dude. They are still... No, they really are. They very, they very much hey, are. this double feature. Get out there. Uh, okay. August 29th, I believe it is. August so. 28th. And Aug- it's, August 28th. You don't have to choose, Jawheads. You can love both films. Right. And, and for the record, I love Terminator. Love so it. I write the trivia every week. This week, I came up with Music Box Trivia. Two keywords. Music and box movie trivia. Okay. Ryan, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. Let's go first. You want to go first? Let's do it. There are steals, and if you get hung up on a question, I know. one trip into the fish tank for Phil, me, and Phil. Question one over to Ryan. Ryan, name the 1965 film that won Best Picture Honors and starred Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. Sound of music. Question one out that's, of the way. That's, that's not even a softball. That's yeah. a T-ball. <laughs> I got another T-ball for you, Matt. I'll take whatever I get. Yeah. I got another T-ball for you, Matt. It's okay. an audio clue. Oh, my goodness. Matt, name the actor who said this famous line in 1997. Oh, what's in the box? <laughs> oh, famously used on Cinema Jaw for a number of years for the Jaw Box segment. Brad Pitt. The movie was seven. There we go. All right. Easy ones out of the way. Slightly harder. Question three, back over to Ryan. Name the 1997 movie that starred Daniel Day-Lewis and Emily Watson. It was about a man coming out of prison to rebuild his life. Uh, My Left Foot. That is incorrect. Isn't My Left Foot the one where he... It is. It's the laundromat. I messed that up. Yeah. 1997 movie, Daniel Day-Lewis and Emily Watson. It's about a man coming out of prison to rebuild his life. It can't be the laundromat because it doesn't have music or box. Right, we're playing music box movie trivia. Man in a box? I don't know this one. Daniel Day-Lewis, 97, coming out of prison to rebuild his life. Um... I'm guessing it's not that first Daniel Day-Lewis film that made him famous. Now, that was in the 80s, I think. The Man in the Box. I went for it. We were looking for the boxer. The boxer. Ugh. It is one-to-one question four over to Matt Kate. Matt, John Malkovich has only starred in one movie with Sandra Bullock. Name the film. Um, John Malkovich has only starred in one movie with Sandra Bullock. Name the film. Was it The Bird Box? One more time. Bird Box? That is correct. The Bird Box. Two to one, Matt K. Question five over to Ryan. Ryan, name the actor who played Mr. Holland, the music teacher in Mr. Holland's Opus. Can see his face, but there's no boxer. Oh, there's music, music. music. Okay, the music teacher. I see what you did there. Um, see? Get, oh God, what's his name? Name the Phil? actor Phil? Oh. who played Mr. Holland, the um, music teacher in Mr. Holland's Opus. You do have a, a trip into the the fish tank if you need it. Let's take it. Whoa! Into the fish tank we go. Question five. Phil, who starred as Mr. Holland? Alrighty, Ryan, I don't have a name for you, but I hope this can help out. 
He's gonna need a bigger boat. Sounds like a Jaws actor. Oh, I know who it is. I just can't think of the name. Oh, man. See his face. Uh... I'm not coming up with it. Sorry, guys. That's a bad clue. It's the, the okay. So the answer is, I think Richard Dreyfus. That's it. But that was not his boat. That but was. He's the one that says we're going to need yeah. a bigger no, boat. No, it's not. Yes, it's, it is. It's not Dreyfus. It's, it's Dreyfus who it's says not, we need it's, a bigger it's, boat. It's uh, it's. Oh, it's Adrian Brody. It, not uh, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Brody. The, the character's name is Brody. Brody. Yes. Yeah, with a cigarette right dangling. Yeah. All right. Well, Dreyfus we, is not even in that scene. But you at least know the, the movie that we were referencing. Yeah. No, I, I, Phil, I, I still okay know who the guy is. It's if, just, yeah. if I had said Baby Steps, Bob, would you have gotten nah. it? No. I just, I just couldn't think of Richard Dreyfus's name. Three to one. Here it is. It's three to one, Matt K. And question six is over to him. You can blow it wide open here, Matt. Name the 1962 movie that was based on the Broadway show of the same name. The film starred Robert Preston and Shirley Jones. It was about a con man and a marching band. 1962 classic. Okay. I believe it is the music man. That is correct. Wow. Four to two, Ryan, you need these last two questions here. Question seven is over to you. The 2009 film The Box was about a couple who can open a wooden box and get a million dollars, but it would kill someone they know. The couple was played by James Mars Marsden and this actress. Could they keep opening the box again and again? I don't remember. I didn't see this movie. Yeah, this is a tough one. This yeah, is a tough sorry. one. And you blew your lifeline. I did. It sounds like Wish Upon. Did you see that? Mm. No. Oh, it's, Matt, any guess on totally this one? missed that one. Actress in the box. I keep thinking of... Um, you can go to the fish tank. Yeah, I can. What, what question number is this? Seven. I'm going to jump in that fish tank. Right? Go into the fish tank. Phil, name the actress who starred in The Box. Alrighty, Matt, your clue. She is an angel. Wow. That does, That's really tough. That does not narrow it down at all. She is an angel. What kind of angel, I wonder? Well, Tilda Swinton was an angel in, in um, Constantine, and it sounds like something she would do, so I'm going to guess Tilda Swinton. We're looking for Cameron Diaz, who was a Charlie's Angel. Oh, jeez. Charlie's Angel. Mm. Last question of the game. The ball game's over, but the last question Could is Could they to open you. the box more and more? Matt, <laughs> in 2007, Hugh Grant starred with Drew Barrymore in a film about a washed-up singer trying to compose a song for an inspiring teen singer. Name the movie. Drew Barrymore. And Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant. I believe the only time those two have starred together. It's sort of a rom-com of sorts. He's a washed-up singer trying to compose a song for an aspiring teen singer. Okay, I don't think it's love actually. <laughs> So, what was that other crappy Hugh Grant rom-com, Notting Hill? Ryan, any guess out of you? Nothing. No. Music and lyrics. Music and lyrics. I saw it. Not yeah, only that, You're probably actually. the only person who did. <laughs> I don't even think Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant saw it. Matt wins this one. Glenn Danzig two. probably saw it. Four to two. Do I get a handshake here in yes. the room? Handshake in the room. It came down to it. If it did great come, job, sir. 
If it did come down Same to a jawbreaker, this question would have been to Ryan, and I think it's a tough one. Better feature at the Music Box Theater, the organist or the lounge? Wait, I have to answer that? Yeah. How can you pit a human um, being the against us? There's only one answer. There's only one answer. What's the better feature? Probably the organ. I guess we could just get yeah. beers at the thing. Yeah, you can get tough beers one. at the concession stand, <laughs> but that lounge is pretty I cool. I joke. The real jawbreaker was this age of Julie Andrews closest to. Oh, Matt, you got to guess. She's a treasure. Okay, so here's here's how I'm going to do my calculus, okay? So she was um, uh, in love with uh, Robert, or what's his name? Plummer. Christopher Plummer in The Sound of Music. I think she was definitely his junior by a few years. I'm, I'm going to guess... 10 years his junior, and he is 83 now, so I'm going to say 74. Lock him in at 74. Ryan, do you have a guess? 78. Give that one to Ryan. Julie Andrews is 83. Whoa, same age? 83. Oh, but Christopher Plummer is not 83. Right, he's like 88, I think. Yeah. Or 89. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He's older. He is older. He is older. So So I was right. I just was wrong about Christopher Plummer's (laughs) age. Yeah, he's older than her. Brings us to the end of a great jaw. First and foremost, we got to thank Ryan from the Music Box for coming on. Always a blast. Always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Always great to be on the podcast. And and congratulations on the baby, dude. Absolutely. I hope you get some sleep soon. Soon. We also got to thank our engineer, uh, the guy over there inside the fish tank, Phil Me and Phil. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Always always a pleasure, and I can't imagine anybody else I'd want to share some fine beer and chocolate with. (laughs) Thanks, Phil. Ditto. Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. Yes, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get cool sponsors like them. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Yeah, and while you're at it, click the subscribe button. It's one extra click, and it helps us out tremendously. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And and keep keep on jawing about the movies. This one's the Ghana peppermint, 72% coca. Mm. Wow. Man, that's a good piece of chocolate. Oh, wow. That is rich. Man. That is tasty. I'm in love with New Zealand. Darren and Mandy, thank you so much. I don't even want to say what I'm thinking right now because it's sexual, but that's how chocolate makes me feel, Ryan. Yeah, let's cut it right there. (laughs)